1: a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. Now, today we have a, um, a podcast that's directed specifically at the veterinary industry. Um, Having said that, it's actually a topic that is just as relevant to any other industry. So the topic that we're talking about today are the common issues that occur when going into business with someone else and what to do about it. Now I have on the show here, in fact, this was actually a webinar that uh, Paolo Lencioni and myself were uh, presenting at quite recently. And I thought this was very useful content to bring to you on this podcast. So listen in, here we go with a discussion with Paolo from APL Accountants and ValueVet and I talking about the common issues with going into business with someone else. And just as a hint, here we're talking about the different types of business structures you can use, the risks of not having associated agreements in place. What needs to be covered in a shareholders agreement? Because this is something that's a really important consideration when you're going into business with someone else. Number one, having the shareholders agreement in place in the first place, which you hear me talk about. But also, Know what needs to be covered in that shareholder's agreement. We also cover drag along and tag along clauses. We talk about the importance of restraints and how that works. And finally, we talk about reviews and exit clauses. So buckle in, here we go for all of the insight into common issues when going into business with someone else in a veterinary practice or indeed in any other type of business at all.
0: Well, hello there, everyone, and welcome again to one of our web masterclasses. Um So, great to see everyone spilling in the room, and for those of you who are Daxons fans, like my wife, um, then you would have enjoyed that video where we had um, gun-toting Daxons uh, and gambler music playing in the background, and uh, quite quite suiting, I think, uh, at this point, because um, this web event is if you're uh, ready to take a gamble on having a business partner or going to business with someone else. Uh, in the current environment, we're um, seeing a lot of internal acquisitions in practices, lots of younger vets wanting to buy veterinary practices, which is actually really, really good to see. We thought it would be good fun and really relevant to have an event uh, discussing the things around um, around partnerships and going into business with someone else. Um, so, just a little bit of housekeeping in terms of, uh, you know, we will be able to answer questions today. We like the events to be interactive and things um, so um, if you guys do want to ask questions use the chat box please not the questions and answers um, so to access the chat box on your zoom screen if you see the three little dots saying more you click on that and then you click on the box called chat and then you'll see a little drop down there that says to just the panelists which will be the people here presenting or to everyone and if you change that to everyone then everyone can see your questions so unless it's kind of a private question um, you don't you can you can put that to everyone it's much more fun and I'd like you all, all to do that right now just to verify that you can hear me so just say a big hello in the chat box and i'll wait for those chats to come through if i see nothing then i'll assume you can't hear me but we can see quite a lot of people have spilt in yeah i'm getting a hello there hello 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 with exclamation marks even better Um, i think you can use emoticons by the way on zoom now so if someone puts an emoticon there i'll be super happy (laughs) all right so we can see we're all we're all loud and clear i can see yes yes james anthony hi everyone perfect so everyone can hear us really really nicely. So today we have a we do have a special guest who I will introduce to you first um, because uh, we've done quite a lot of work uh, with Joanna. So here she is coming in on a screen, and I have got uh, I have got screen envy here because uh, she has this wonderful recording studio. <laughs> because we know that Joanna is a is a, is a podcaster and a part of two of our very very popular legal podcasts uh, in Australia. But she also heads the team and has for a long period of time at Aspect Legal and. We've been involved with quite a few sales and acquisitions with Joe in the past. Uh, we find her quite a friendly lawyer, which is quite rare, actually. <laughs> uh, so, um, so we've we've done we've done a fair bit of work with Joanna, and I'm pretty sure she'll happily answer your questions in a friendly manner if you have any questions coming in on the chat box. Um, so, with that, Joe, say hello to everyone. This, uh, Brilliant. You-
1: hello, thank you for having me on board. I'm super, super excited to join you today. <laughs>
0: That's good. So what I'll do now is I'll just quickly switch over to um, to my PowerPoint, and um, I'm just what I'm going to do is I'm going to introduce um, just very quickly some of the business structures to avoid some conversation, and then the rest of this event really is going to be a, a media Q and A session with Joe around all the things we um, we see that are common uh, common issues around going into business with someone else so let me just bring that up it was a, a little bit slow on zoom i'm not a, i'm not a multitasker by the way guys as some of you may know um so i have to <laughs> i have to try and speak try and speak and fiddle with my uh, fiddle with my zoom screen at the same time so i think that will work i think something yay there we go okay we're we're, we're in business all right. So, ah, first of all, and uh, also, Jay, you're part of uh, part of the B1G1 movement, I aren't am, you? I where... am.
1: I am. Absolutely. I and love that's them.
0: actually, that's where we met you. We met you at a B1G1 conference. It was. Actually. That's right. Um, so, so B1G1 is, a, is, a, is an organization that allows us to give to worthy causes in terms of like if something special happens in our business, we can do something special for someone else and quite relevant for this point in time. Thank you all of you for having attended today and actually not only for attendees, but for everyone who's registered uh, for this particular month. We will be giving to the worthy cause of supporting uh, injured Australian wildlife and bushfires because we have those bushfires in Western Australia. So a big thank you to all of you for attending this today. You'll have made a difference uh, to that wildlife in Australia just by being here. Um, this is Joanna's contact details, by the way, um, Aspect Legal. So if any of you are interested in anything that Johanna said today or uh, want to uh, contact Joanna about anything around sales and acquisitions or partnership agreement, or going into business for some agreements around that, um, that's the website, www.aspectlegal.com.au. All right, so what we're going to cover today, just briefly, the things you'll get covered today is we'll be looking at the business structured and structures and associated agreements with those structures. Uh, Joe and I will speak uh, about the common things um, that the agreements will, should be covering. And then we'll be looking at the common issues causing breakdowns in relation business relationships. And we've probably got quite a lot of stories collectively of where we've seen these things go wrong because obviously our involvement in value vet and buys and sells through the valuation business um, Exposes us to a lot of that, and obviously Joanna's exposure on the legal side would uh, would expose it to a lot of that. And then we'll be looking at some potential exit options uh, for business uh, for people who want to slowly exit the business and uh, and see how that can be done. And interesting things like drag along and tag along clauses so just so you guys don't get confused today we're not going to go through all the like ins and outs of all the different business structures because that will be a whole webinar on its own but understand that um, generally if you're in business with someone else you'll probably be trading as a company a unit trust, or a partnership. And for all three of these structures, uh, when we talk about agreements, you have to have some kind of agreement in place that deals with the relationship between you and the other associated business parties. Um, in, In strict terms, if you are in a company, that agreement will be called a shareholders agreement. If you are in a unit trust, it will be called a unit holders agreement. And if you're in a partnership, It will be called a partnership agreement. Um, Now, obviously, when we're dealing with this conversationally um, and doing, you know, Joe and I speaking about it, we may talk about, you know, being in partnership with someone or something like that. We're not really talking about partnerships. We'll be covering all these structures, okay? Just understand that depending on whichever structure you're in, in, when we talk about the agreement you have to have between yourself and the associated parties in business with you, it'll either be a shareholders agreement, a unit holds agreement, or a Partnership agreement, okay. And if you've got that right, then you should be able to follow what we'll be dealing with uh, quite, quite easily. And I think that's all I had on my uh, on my PowerPoint because now the rest is just going to be purely conversational. James, okay?
1: so. <laughs> actually, in in that uh, one thing, I just thought I'd throw in in that distinction between the different types of entities: the company, the partnership, um, and the trust. Uh, maybe we should also differentiate between um, the family family trust and the discretionary trust versus unit trust because that discretionary trust is is more about a structure for an individual who's running a business versus that you know the the unit trust which is the the um you know the structure that relates to multiple people together in a business. So I, I guess that's just one thing to throw out there because I I find quite often there's a lot of confusion about what trusts are and how it actually works. So you know and partnerships as well. Companies are a little bit perhaps more understood. But the one thing I wanted to point out, we're going to be talking about shareholders agreements and um, unit holders agreements. I have many people who come to me who might have. Um, A a unit trust um, uh, set up, and they, they think the trust deed is the same as a unit holder's agreement or indeed perhaps people think that constitutions are the same as a shareholders agreement for companies so just thought so maybe it's useful for us to just quickly um uh, just talk about that you, you so you mentioned the unit holders agreements for trusts but that that is different to the trust deed itself because the trust deed regulates um how how the the trust Will how the funds will flow through the trust ultimately really? It's setting it up from a legal relationship, just like a constitution does for a company. But the shareholders agreement for a company a unit holder's agreement for a trust, these extra documents that sort of sit over and above um, those, those foundational documents that govern the relationship. So, I just thought I'd throw that in. Of course, we're going to talk a lot about what those documents include and, and where the issues come in when they're not in place. But I just thought I'd add that distinction in initially because people don't necessarily understand the difference between a trust deed and a unit holder's agreement but they're quite different.
0: Thanks, Jack. I hadn't thought of that. And yes, so you guys will know, even if we've set up a a trust or a company for you, um, the actual setup process through ASIC um, requires that, um, you know, you have a constitution uh, formulated, a very standard document, or if you're setting up a a trust, you get a trust deed, which will be a little book that we'll give you. Um, And understand that that actually pretty much handles um, a lot of how the trust works as a legal entity, but does not manage correct me if I'm wrong, but does very little to manage the relationship of the parties inside that business. And this is what we're actually looking at now is actually, you need a separate document drafted up. By a lawyer that manages the relationships of the parties inside that business, um, and a lot of people will be confused by that. They'll say, "Oh, yeah, I do have an agreement in place." It yeah, I've
1: got me. a long one. Surely it's sufficient, right? <laughs> <laughs>
0: but, and it's not. Uh, So, actually, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to launch a little poll, and I just want to see—I want to see who's, who's, who our audience is. Um, so, really, um, I'm going to launch this now, and the question is. Um, you know, at what stage are you in business? Are you thinking of buying into a business? Are you thinking of bringing in a partner? Are you already in business with someone or are you just curious? And we'll just let that run for about 30 seconds as we see the numbers coming through. And we're still, it's all its all going crazy there because we've got loads of people here. And so let we'll add another, come on, another 10 seconds. People are still voting away. <laughs> there we go, go on, go on, go on. Almost everyone's done it. Come on, I can see there's a few you haven't, you know. Zoom lets me check who's voted and who hasn't voted. <laughs> we're pulling I love All right. it. <laughs> <laughs> we're, pretty, we're pretty good there. And we'll share the results there. And we can see here. So it's actually fairly even. Uh, we have 32% thinking of buying into a business. Okay. So this very much reflects... Uh, what we've been seeing, okay, there's a lot of people interested in buying veterinary practices. Mm. Lots of veterinarians actually wanting to buy veterinary practices, not corporate, which is fantastic. We really like that, guys. so well done. Um, then there's, <laughs> oh, and I think so, 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 someone someone's thinking of no, that that move, didn't it? Thinking of bringing in a partner, 36% of uh, people willing to bring in a partner. So we can see it's actually a very even number, 32, 36. So there's certainly people wanting to bring in partners, people wanting to go into business. Uh, 14% already in business with someone else. So we'll have some interesting uh, facts for you there, and eighteen percent. Just curious, okay? So that's fantastic. Thanks for sharing that with us, guys. So we know we have a pretty good audience here, and the information is um, is going to be pretty relevant, I think. Um, okay, so Joe, I thought we'd um, we'd, we'd probably start off um, the question. I would say so. You actually brought highlighted the fact of having this separate extra agreement that handles the relationship between the people within the business themselves. Um, what are the risks of not having such an agreement in place? Broadly speaking,
1: yeah. So, so I usually start off when looking at this, and 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 can I say the risks are disputes, and I'll talk about some of them in a moment because we see lots of them. Um, so we can see what is causing these disputes, and and then the issues that um, the business partners find themselves in if they don't have. A document that sort of tells them what to do if they're not agreeing on something. But, but standing back, you you know, the way I view um agreements, like for example, shareholders' agreements and partner uh, partner partnership agreements and um uh, you know unit holder agreements, is that it, it gives you the opportunity to discuss. It's almost like this checklist to help you discuss the things that you may not think of to discuss between each other as partners in a business, um, or that you might feel uncomfortable discussing otherwise. So, so putting agreements in place, firstly, is helping you discuss the things that are relevant to how your relationship will run together in running this business, because it is a relationship. Um, And, you you know, relationships – can often start um, with a lot of high energy and people getting on, but then over time can you know, sometimes disintegrate um, and turn into something that wasn't what either party thought it would be in the beginning. So, the first thing is having agreements in place, whichever it is, um, I think is a really good way to, number one, stop disputes from occurring in the first place because it helps you ask the questions that you should be asking right in the beginning so that when an issue occurs in relation to you both, you know, seeing how something is playing out in a business in a different way, you've had that discussion from the beginning and you understand where each other sits um, rather than um, I think the biggest issue is when some of these things fester without people talking about them and without understanding each other's perspectives right from the beginning. So, that so right from the beginning, I would say you need to look at these things, not as this like big legal document that sits in the bottom of the drawer. That's not what these agreements are. These agreements are something there to help regulate the behaviour that you're each expecting from each other in certain situations and to help you navigate any um, disagreements or disputes that come up during the period of a relationship together. Now, um, I, I think some of the biggest issues we see are really around probably decision making and exit. And we'll probably, I, I think, we've got lots of these areas to work through. And, and I think in our discussions together, you've also seen lots of other things, you know, weighing in there. But, but two of the things that we see most prominently are um, there's there's lack of consensus. People People are taking different viewpoints in relation to how the business should be run. And there's nothing that has been set out that's concrete in relation to how decisions will be made um, within the business. What happens if you don't agree? Um, And the second component is where one person doesn't want to be in the business or doesn't want the other person (laughs) to be in the business. But the whole concept of exit just hasn't been clarified and isn't clear. And it's not clear how um, one person can get out or how one person can force the other person out. Because the reality is if you don't have that clearly set out in an agreement, then you can be in the situation where it's actually extremely difficult to extricate yourself or extricate the other person. So um, th- these are the sorts of things that if they're not set up from the beginning, it can be extremely hard to overlay into the future. So I, I think they're they're the areas where I see the two biggest issues and, and I'll, I'll. Drive, dive in soon and maybe tell you some examples of stuff that I'm saying. But what, what about yeah, you? Yeah,
0: we 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 want examples. Definitely <laughs> want examples. Uh, so I'm I'm I made notes as to what we often see as uh, as as breakdowns because we often are, unfortunately in terms of the valuation side of the business have to value businesses for partnership breakups. So and I'm, again, I'm saying partnerships loosely, right? It can be a company, it can be yeah. a trust, it could be a proper partnership. But you know these business relationships um, um, break Well, someone said, bring on the gory details, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, Love uh, probably, it. Um, so it's you, like having you, a prenup. Yeah, sorry, go yeah, yeah. keep like going. Pre- it is like having a prenup, right? Yeah. Uh, and it's like like a business relationship is actually like a marriage because very often you will spend um, more time with your business partner in many cases than you will with your spouse. Yeah. Uh, so it is a big thing. Um, so very commonly what we see issues around is hours worked. Uh, so where we have partners that um, at some point someone runs out of puff and says, look, oh, I just don't want to work those hours anymore, uh, but I still want to take the money um, and I still want to collect a wage. Um, so, and, and, and spilling into that, it's like, okay, well, actually I want to do more administrative work. I'm sick of being a vet and I want to do the sales and marketing component of the business. And I don't really want to be, uh, you know, in the, in the nuts and bolts veterinary business. And um, That expectation was never set at the outset. And now suddenly, you know, someone's giving themselves a, a role in, in, in part of the business, which they might not be that good at, mm-hmm. um, you know, but they're sick and tired of the business and they want to sit there in the office and be an administrator because they're tired of doing everything else. So, this is often where we see some issues um i guess you could probably expand on some of these joe um life mm-hmm. stage we have very young partners with old partners and the focus is an and approach towards risk is very very different i think you said that, you know they kind of agree on management decisions yeah you have an older partner who's due to retire in the next three years you have a, a bunch of younger partners who uh, you know want to invest in the business and get new software systems in and new equipment the older partner is thinking well why should i spend on this because i oh, you know I'm going to exit soon anyway. Mm -hmm. I just want the money. Um, So you get that life stage-based issue where you might need to manage something um, around sort of hours worked and decision-making around that. Uh, and then, obviously, the personal inca- inca- incompatibilities in terms of personalities that just don't, don't stick, um, you know. And I guess there's no agreement that'll fix that. Um, but you have to make sure that you have a business partner that you can work with. Um, so those are kind of the the examples we can we can we can talk about. So if mm. you can give us a real world example of some of that, obviously anonymized, but uh, but yeah. a real world example of some of yeah. that. Stuff.
1: Yeah. And uh, I think what you're talking about here, so there's two elements, aren't there? There's this having aligned expectations in relation to how this business is going to work together. Um, And some of that relates to things that we should include in agreements. And some of it just relates to how it is that we're going to ensure that we're meeting regularly and what are we discussing and what are we agreeing on? All of those sorts of, you know, Business management, um, so, sort of areas. But then the second point is, if if you if you're getting to a stage where it's just not working together, and you know this is a lot of what we see where it's just not working together. And just as a side note, often the reason it gets there is because you haven't tackled these first things first. You know, it might be that this relationship was completely salvageable. It's just that you hadn't gotten into getting into the depth of talking about how to resolve these issues right from the beginning and having a way to navigate that right from the beginning. And then that leads to, you know, one person feeling really disgruntled and the deterioration of a relationship when it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. And actually, you you know, we deal with lots of business partners who come in and who say, you know, it's really strained at the moment but I don't want it to be strained, but it's just never going to get better. And I I look at those situations in almost all of those situations. I think it didn't have to get to that point anyway, to begin with. But- but um and I think later we should talk about why people don't have shareholders' agreements because the 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 reason often for this and when I say shareholders' agreements, let's just agree right now that I also am talking about partnership agreements and um, unit holder agreements. So therefore we don't have to like, you know, yeah, do the you know, yeah, triple barreled. <laughs> yeah. So just assume whatever whatever whenever I say shareholders' agreements, I mean all of the others as well. How about that? Um, but the reason that Quite often, that we don't have them in place is because they seem hard to work out what we're going to do in these instances at the beginning. Can I just tell you, it's 20 times harder to navigate these issues when a dispute, when you're not seeing eye to eye, than it is. Right at the beginning. So if it looks hard to work out what you do in these situations from the beginning when you're getting getting on, I promise you it will be twenty times harder if you're not getting on. So do it while you're getting on.
0: I yeah, think. So my, my take home message there is, and actually, was thirty six percent of the audience is looking at introducing partners, and thirty two yeah. percent of the audience was looking at going into partners if you cannot have this uh, uh, we'll call it shareholders agreement discussion before you enter into the um, into business with this other person you will not have a functional yeah. business relationship if you can't cannot have that discussion in the beginning you're certainly not going to be able to iron the issues out after so um have if you're buying in or if you're introducing uh, someone into your business please uh, have that agreement Put in place and the discussion around that agreement. Um, so, Joe, with that, I'll ask you because this is a very common one for us: is can you, in a shareholders agreement, uh, have stated how much input each of the different people has to have in the business? Can you state that they have to work a certain number of hours or do a certain amount of work?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, you, you can you can have that. So, you can that can be reflected in a number of ways, and that can be reflected in the rights of the other party to trigger a buy. A buyout of one party shares, so so you can have KPIs in there. So say, for example, you know you you might have things in an agreement that relate to how much you're both agreeing to work in the business, and if you don't, that you then that then that triggers like a default or or a reason for the other party to be able to buy you out. And the only way that that really works then is for you, there to be clarity in the agreement about how then the sh- the shares. Um, Units, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, would be valued in that instance. So that's that's a super important component. I think you know, number one, working out whether or not you want to have re- a really hard metric. So that's an example that you might put in an agreement. Like you might
0: say the revenue generated by... Right, you might say revenue. Yeah, yeah, hours yeah. worked or something yeah, like that.
1: Yeah, but but the, but the one issue with that is you, you just need to, and this perhaps comes back to a question, once again, we'll, we'll cover a bit more later on, but the idea of how regularly should you review these agreements, because that might be what, what you set from the beginning might be appropriate for right now, but it may not be appropriate as time goes on. And the likelihood is if you're going to get into that sort of specifics, this is something that you should be reviewing regularly, and I'd say at least annually. Um, and you, you know that just means maybe even just have a checklist of the headline things that you come back to and think about. Oh, okay, let's think about what it is that we've put in in to the agreement as the KPIs that we've both agreed to meet um and 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 keep coming or or let's have a look again at exit or all of those you you know the key headline issues cuz n- not everything in the shareholders agreement will be relevant to um review Every year, but there are some things that might be relevant to review um, every now and again. I can see we've got a question. So
0: yeah, really good questions. So I'll ask it to you because this is. I was actually going to ask something like this. Anyway. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> it's a, so the, a, an example of the questions or a list of questions that should be considered both at the start and on annual review would be hugely helpful. Yeah. So, okay. Um, so, so let's. You let's, know what? Let's we can with- we
1: can build the annual review. I, I, a, do you know what? Let's 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 try and create it right now. I might want to add to it later on. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we could add to it later on, but like, yeah, yeah. So, what, what sort of things would you be looking at uh, first when, when yep. starting, like what questions would you be asking the the said people and then what would you be reviewing every year? So, yep. far away, off Yes, yeah.
1: okay. So, so what we want to cover in our shareholders' agreements are decision-making. How is it that decisions are made? So, what decisions need to be made with everyone agreeing? What decisions can be made for example, by the majority holders versus the minority holders. When we say majority, we mean the the holders that you know have majority of the business versus. Like, sorry, was, go was, ahead. Go, go, I
0: want to <laughs> give an example because that's a really good one, right? So let's let's actually put this into real real context uh, for everyone. So, for example, we have a uh, company with uh, three shareholders. So there's three shareholders now, okay? Um, which means by the normal company constitution, if you don't have a shareholders agreement in place, two of the shareholders can outvote the third one, okay? Now, for example, two of the shareholders are young vets. The third shareholder is a vet who's two years uh, to retirement. The two young vets want to spend a million dollars on a new fit out. It's really not going to be suitable for the guy who's two years uh, due to retire in two years. And at this point now, they can't veto him and they can say, we are going to spend a million dollars on the fit out because we're the majority shareholders and you just have to wear the loan on that until you sell. Mm. All right. So, how would you catch that? Yeah. Okay. Uh, that scenario in a... I'm asking you difficult questions, just Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. No, no, no. No, this is a really good one because because the way that should be dealt with is in the decision-making outline, there there should be, you know, decisions that relate to um, capital spends or any expense greater than X dollars need to be agreed to by everyone. But, but you have to be aware that then if you have a number, lots of owners in the business, then one person can veto everyone else. And so, you, you, you just have to be aware, will, will that work for you? Could that be a problem? And if so, then you need a way to break that that um, dispute. That's you, you know, you need a circuit breaker. And the way that generally we'll build that in is triggering a right um, for the other shareholders to purchase. Um, or, and then once again, we're coming back to making sure you're establishing the right value at that point.
0: Yeah. 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 So, so yeah. And, and um, I mean, you said a capital expenditure thing. I've seen this in a lot of agreements and I think it works. You can say like for decisions under $20,000, um, you go on majority. And for decisions over $20,000, yeah. I guess you could agree um, that all three of those particular um, shareholders have to agree yeah. um, on, yeah. on an expenditure over a certain amount. And again, and then- this would be on a case by case basis. Obviously, it might not work for every single, you know, group of shareholders, but certainly in small businesses, like, like I think, um, Exposing a single person to a huge economic risk yeah. uh, would be would be would be quite risky. Um, yeah. So uh, so in that instance, um, you know, it might work where there's two young people and one older person. That might be a a a good a good uh, thing to have. If it's three people who are the same age, it might not be. But that's a good example of where we could see potential disputes
1: brilliant totally agree yep absolutely so that's the whole decision making um and then and then the other biggie is exit so how is it that um one party Um, is able to exit if that, and of course, someone can just leave a business, but, um, you you know, how is it that they realize their capital in the business? I guess is the question. So how do you leave or how do you move someone else out? Um, if that's and, and, you know, the perspective changes based on whether you're looking at this from a, minority holder perspective or a majority holder perspective. But I can give you so many examples of, this is probably the biggest one that comes to us, the the issue with exit. In fact, we've got one on our desk right at the moment where we've got um, a business with four shareholders in it. Three of the shareholders want to sell. One shareholder didn't really want to sell. Um, They decided to put the business to market. The business went to market. A buy was found and then right at the end, the one remaining, the, the one shareholder out of the four of them, so the one quarter holder, nuked the whole deal, said, no, I'm not agreeing. And they couldn't sell the business without that person agreeing um, because the buyer wanted the whole box and dice. They didn't want to be in business with this one person that was creating problems. And as an aside, the reason the other three wanted to get out of the business anyway was because of this one shareholder. Um, and so the the problem in that instance is don't have a shareholder's agreement um, and there is nothing that they can do to force this other shareholder out. So it's a massive problem. And because of they then, um, you know, have issues in relation to the running of the business, because this person holds um, this component that they can't extract from them. So that's something that you just really need to think about. And that's when we bring in um, tricky little things called drag along clauses and tag along clauses. um,
0: which I was going to ask you. Well, so now's a good time. <laughs> now, so, so again, I'll, I'll, actually, I'll, I'll have a similar example. Um, it actually isn't in the veterinary industry. It was actually in a, in a, in a, in a medical industry also, but basically it was a two, two man, um, business, two, two way shareholders, both having 50-50 of the business each. Um, and actually I've heard of this actually more than once, probably about three or four times. And the one guy wants to sell. And the other guy says, sure, go ahead and sell, but I'm not even going to meet the new person. I'm not even going to be here to speak to them. If they want to speak to me, I'm going to refuse to speak to them. And no one is going to buy the business under those conditions, right? So, the remaining partner can, in fact, scupper any sales deal for the exiting partner. Okay, so I understand that. So uh, because no one's going to want to buy into part of a business where the other half isn't even prepared to speak to them, always plenty rude when they come in, and it's just rude to them. So the remaining partner, in the absence of something to catch this in a shareholders agreement or unit holders agreement, uh, can actually scutter the deal. So this is actually quite a common scenario, Joe, that uh, that you're talking about. And to protect you against this, there's these things called drag along clauses and. Tag along clauses. Um, so, Joe, tell people about drag along clauses. And well,
1: why not? Clause. Let's get into the detail. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try not to make it too boring. <laughs> um, no, so the drag along, well, it's quite It's quite easy. I, I like these terms because they describe what they actually do. Drag along clause gives the um, majority holders, usually it's the majority holders, the ability to drag along the other shareholders with them on a deal that they've managed to strike. And, and you know, it's important that we put provisions in there that protect the minority shareholder from, um, you know, this being some sort of arrangement in order to get their shares off them at some sort of bargain basement price. But but if all of those things are in place, then it can be a really good clause to ensure that you're not left with um, minority shareholders holding on and you not being able to do anything Um, with their shares or with your own shares because you can't pull them along. And in fact, I've got an example of that one right now on my desk as well. We've got um, a client who owns 97% of his business. He's got a 3% shareholder, 3% shareholder. Um, No, uh, didn't put a shareholders agreement in place when he began. 3% shareholder has said that they're not prepared to sell. And so, he can't get the shares off that 3% shareholder. That's the classic example where there absolutely should be a drag-along clause um, in place and whilst so, so just has-
0: explain the drag-along in that case so the drag-along in other words would mean that if if the majority shareholder decides to sell to a third party they can drag that three percent shareholder to force them to sell their shares to that same party for the same price
1: for the same price for the, the same, same price. price so whatever they're selling their shares for it means that they can sell the whole box and dice of um the business and so but that 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 um whatever the deal they've gotten for their shares has to be replicated exactly for the other shareholders that are being dragged along, dragged along as in they're being forced to sell their shares at the same price on the same terms.
0: So, a question on that because I like these real scenarios. I'm sure that everyone's ears are pricked up on this. I know. <laughs> I, know, I, know, I know these guys, right? But I could argue, so say it's a 60-40% um, split in the business and the 60% part uh, wants to sell to, say, a corporate vet, and the 40% guy is not that happy about having been sixty a minority shareholder with, say, a corporate veterinary company. Um, So you say there's a drag-along clause in that uh, particular agreement. Um, Can you still have a a, a part of the agreement that says um, the first right of refusal of that sale goes to the remaining shareholders if they are prepared to buy it at the same price as the corporate. And only if they say no to buying it, then do they get dragged along.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You can 100% have that. Yeah, 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 absolutely. That's So you definitely-
0: see, that's what I'm saying. So you can actually protect every yeah. party. can have a very, very fair outcome in that particular scenario. But you can see how complicated these agreements get. Mm. Um, there's no default agreement that covers this if you don't have it in place. But in this particular case, the 40% shareholder could say, well, actually, no, I'll offer you the same price as said third party. I want the whole practice for myself. And then it gets valued. And then he says, oh, geez, I actually can't afford that. Mm. Uh, And then you say, okay, well, then we will, you've got first rights, but we will sell to the corporate and you'll be forced to come along with us. However, because the price is pretty good, obviously, if you can't afford to buy it, it's pretty good. The outcome, it might not be ideal, but at least it's fairly equitable for everyone.
1: Yeah, 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 absolutely. And what you're talking about there, and let's not forget, we'll, we'll come back to tag along next. We haven't forgot about tag along.
0: We doing drag along. Then it's right? yes.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I just want to throw in there. One of the elements that you, you're talking about here is what we call preemptive rights, I love how we have names for all of this, fabulous, how exciting, but preemptive rights are something that we generally build into their exit clauses, which effectively says one person can't sell their shares without giving the other person the right to purchase them first on the same terms that they're offering to sell them to someone else for. And I think that's extremely um, important to have. And once again, it's something that you only get the right Of, if you have a shareholders agreement,
0: I would see I would actually see very little reason not to have that clause into a lot of the agreements because the the guy actually is still going to get the same amount of money and it gives the person the remaining parties to uh, the opportunity to purchase that business. So I think that preemptive clause I don't know, I can't say, but I would say it should probably be in most of the agreements. Yeah,
1: absolutely. But, but, and, but here's the trick, isn't it? If there is no shareholders agreement in place or, um, They've thought about a shareholder's agreement but never signed it, which happens.
0: There's nothing <laughs> to protect not you. Like them. It's, There's
1: it's nothing to season.
0: protect you. Yeah. A, yeah. 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 Uh, what you have is the Corporations Act, which allows the buying and selling of shares just like on the stock market. Yeah. Um, so, shares could be sold without you even being told about it. Yeah. Um, effectively. And,
1: Actually, that brings in another thing. But we are coming back to tag along. I promise. I promise. But uh, but but now we're on preemptive rights. The 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 other thing I guess is the decision about whether or not you want to be able to have a veto right. About a third party that um, the that the shares are being sold to. So we've got our preemptive rights, which is the current shareholders get the right to first right and sometimes first and last right of refusal to purchase. But then there's this all, other question. You know, should there be some sort of ability of the current shareholders to be able to vet who who the purchases are? So that's another question that you know we sort of navigate. And I
0: really and- like that one because we've we've seen one like that recently, and um, so that that clause that, um, um, again, it, it's on a case-by-case basis, okay? But in the context of veterinary business, I'm not a big fan of because um, we have a case on that we've seen recently where um, there is that, that um, you can't introduce a new partner unless the remaining partner approves of them. Um, I believe that gives, in a veterinary context, because we're looking at businesses that are held maybe by three or four parties at most, gives the remaining partners too much power and they can actually 100% scupper the sale of someone who wants to exit.
1: Well, and, okay. but, and but it then has and, to, and has to be matched with then what happens if they don't agree, what's our trigger out then, you know. Mm-hmm. And sometimes what that is is triggering the, a requirement for the other person to buy or whatever.
0: Yeah, yeah. So the ones I've seen, there's no trigger, there's no out-trigger. For, uh, for that particular party. So like either like I'll, I will agree to accept this person as a partner and you exit, or I say no and there's nothing to allow that partner to exit. So you can see, guys, why it's very, very important to get a lawyer to look at these things mm-hmm. and for both pe- both parties to actually be sat present and to have that discussion as to, is this going to work for us? Yeah. Because uh, yeah. there might be scenarios where it does work for you, but you have to really think about, like, is this going to work for us now? And then with the reassessment of the agreement, if you're going to have to reassess every three years, you start... Do you think, okay, did it work for us three years ago? Is it still going to work for us? And do we want that clause yeah. removed? Yeah. Uh, I'm actually going to, with that, I want to launch this poll because now that <laughs> everyone's ears are pricked up and we've done some gory details, I want to see here. Um, I'm going to ask this question here, launch this poll here, and I'm going to ask you guys this. Uh, if you are in business with someone else, do you have a business agreement in place? And please well, be honest, it's anonymous. Answer, yes, no, yep. or don't, know. And I just want to see how many people are. And I, I can see only <laughs> a few people are voting. <laughs> can can uh, I
1: just say, in case it makes anyone feel better um, in terms of considering their uh, ha- how they're going to vote here, do you know what? I, I think 80% of businesses haven't actually finalised. You know, They may have started the shareholders' agreement but haven't finalised, so either don't have a shareholders' agreement in place or, or have never started or have never finished the process. And, and
0: we've had ones that haven't been signed. It's been in place and then yeah. the, the, the dirty stuff's come out and out comes the, uh, the shareholders' agreement and- no one signed it. Yeah. Um, so the, I think the veterinary industry will actually be better than average on this. But you can see here we're having um, sort of seventy-one percent currently saying yes and twenty-nine uh, percent saying no. But less than half of you have voted, right? Thanks, Kate. That's
1: uh, hilarious. I love
0: that. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, 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 <laughs> so there is there, there is people in place. Uh, there is people here uh, um, that are um, so actually I can actually share that now. Uh, share the results there we should see there so we can see 71% so roughly 70 30% wow, 70% you guys that, go
1: i love uh, it
0: but, but but a lot of people didn't, didn't answer. And, and i think yeah. the not answered might be don't know Yeah. Um, if you haven't an answered i'm going to assume so there'll be a significant number of people who actually don't don't probably don't know Whether or not that is um, that is the case, so um
1: you know, and and that comes back to I I think this discussion about how regularly you review it and the importance of pulling out and reviewing it, um, and you know, and what the agreement is there for in the first place, because if you aren't sure, then. Quite often that means that even if there is one in place, it's not something that's actually helping to govern the relationship because it's sitting in the bottom of a drawer somewhere. Um, and and when you pull it out, it's probably it's likely not to reflect where you are at the moment which creates a whole heap of problems like for example just the other day I, I was speaking to someone about um, a particular issue where there are rights built into the shareholders agreement but they haven't done anything and there had been a breach and this breach had been persisting for years and years and years but they had then bu- pulled the other partner up on this breach and then if that happens you've got that that Problem, which is you know, have you agreed to basically amend the agreement now by conduct, which is a thing in law. You know, you can amend agreements by conduct in some instances, which means if someone has breached their their obligations under the agreement and you've not pulled them up on it, you can have waived your rights to be able to do so in the future, if that makes sense. So it's super important that you're that you understand what's in there and that that doesn't mean that you have to take action against someone for not complying but you just need to uh, you need to have those conversations and it needs to be clear how you're going to deal with these things moving forward and that your agreement reflects where you are because the other common issue is we've signed an agreement when we've got two partners in place but we've brought in a third and fourth at some point in the future and now it doesn't you know the shareholders agreement doesn't reflect where we're actually sitting in terms of. So if you actually
0: bring in additional people actually and there's no agreement signed, what happens to the existing agreement?
1: Yeah, well, this is a problem. <laughs> this is a problem. It actually ceases to have real effect. So the the shareholder the shareholders agreement is an agreement between the current shareholders. So there are provisions that can stay in place that relate to the current shareholders, but it doesn't bring in the third shareholder the sh- third shareholder have, hasn't executed the agreement. So in fact, that's one of the worst situations because no one actually knows what's, who, what obligations are on foot for whom at that yeah, particular so every time, sorry.
0: so then take There's every time you're introducing someone, your business have this reviewed. And just a little joke here, just because I know the audience loves to pull me up on 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 putting my foot in my mouth. Two of them have told me the voting was low because not all of them own a business. Ah, 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 ah. Well, that, <laughs> Thanks that for. Thanks for reminding me, guys. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Although
1: I'd love to ask for those five people and don't feel you have to put your answers on, but maybe a question for you to reflect yourself. For for the people who've responded, the 71% who say that you do have a business agreement in place, just reflect yourself. When was the last time you pulled that out? And do you actually know what it says? Yeah. Um well, you don't the, have to
0: put that in the chat, guys. No, that's right. Just no,
1: no, just no. just reflect yep, on it. Just to reflect on it. Okay. Um, actually, one thing we didn't answer tag along, so let's yeah, I was quickly come back. <laughs> let's let's come Back so so we've dra-
0: drag along where yeah. you can drag someone out. Now Joe's going to speak about tag along clauses. So talk yeah. about tag along clauses.
1: So a tag along clause is where one party, so in this case, it's usually the minority party, but it, it can. Um, it can be the case for any party, has the right to tag along with the party that's selling, i.e. they have the right to require that if another party sells, that they ensure that the buyer offers them the same deal that they're offering their other partner, if that makes sense. So it's the ability of them to tag along with the sale if they want to be part of a sale that it has been um, that that is being processed by their their business partner, as opposed to the drag along, which is giving the selling party the ability to drag the other party with them.
0: So I like tag-along clauses just to put put into context of the veterinary example I gave earlier. um, There's a 40% uh, shareholder and a 60% shareholder. The 60% shareholder wants to sell out to a big corporate. The 40% shareholder is not convinced they want to carry on working there as a minority shareholder under a big entity that they're not familiar with. Um, So if there's a tag-along clause, what happens is they they can say, well, okay, um, Mr. Corporate or whatever you are buying – 60 shares for a certain amount of money and our 40% shares you are forced to buy for the same amount of money and you will own 100% of the business. Um, And I actually like tag-alongs for that because it gives the remaining partner an equitable way of exiting the business without um, finding them stuck with an unknown, uh, with an unknown entity or person. Um, so, you know, it, I, I, I kind of like the tag along. Again, it's, a, it's not a one size fits all, but I, I, I like what the tag along does. I uh, much prefer it, for example, to the, um, you know, allowing the remaining partner to stop the deal. I think mm. it's almost fair to have a tag along where they can say, okay, I'm not going to, I can't stop the deal, but I can at least get the same amount of money. I can choose to carry on working with the new guy or if I don't like, I don't think I'm going to like him, I can exit uh, at least at a decent price. So uh, so that's the tag along. So that's that's what a tag along clause is.
1: Mm. So we finally got there and rounded it out. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, go, with, we have so many things to tell you about. It's hard, isn't it, to keep on track. Maybe, <laughs> maybe if I throw in a few other things here about what um, these agreements cover. So, so, we talked about the decision-making and the exit. Um, some other things are um, capital contributions. So, if you decide that there's capital, th- that you're going to require um Uh, You know, uh, the parties to put in funding, you, you know, that's something that should be set out. And sometimes it's really important to set out a distribution policy because sometimes, you know, there's differing positions on how much of the profit should be distributed versus retaining the business as working capital or for
0: growth so you could for example you know i was talking about hours worked and um if, say for example and, and correct me if i'm wrong because i'm just doing this off the top of my head Ron. i'm not a lawyer but if you have a shareholder 50 50 shareholders agreement um and no uh, shareholder company and there's no agreement in place um it's quite like and they're both working in the business but one of them decides they want to cut back their hours to half mm. maybe working a 20-hour week but still want to collect a full-time wage mm. it how would that work if there's, you know, how can you do that? Can you can can they continue taking a higher wage? Mm. Or you know
1: Yeah, exactly. And this is a problem because, you know, the decisions that have to be made by the business um are, are you know have to be made by agreement of both parties wherein you're in a 50-50, because in a 50-50 setting, um you, you need to get a, in the absence of any shareholders' agreements or any other agreement in place, you, you have to have both of you agreeing to everything before any decision can be made. So you can see that it can create deadlocks. (laughs) It can create a nightmare if you haven't, if you haven't, you know, establish the parameters of how you're going to make these decisions. And one of the things is you don't need to set out. Um, you know, we talked before about having KPIs and and those sorts of things as triggers for default and allowing for buyback of shares and all of those sorts of things. But you don't need to set out that sort of detail in the shareholders agreement. It can be something where you can refer to an annual budget, for example, or an annual plan that you're putting together where you set these out together by agreement each year, and if if you don't agree, then it reverts to the previous year, and that's also a good way to deal with uh, expenses that you're looking at occurring. Because we talked about this whole question of you, you know, uh, um, uh, you know, the size of expenses. So when, when you're entering into this agreement, you might decide that you're going to start out by agreeing on a business plan or a budget for for the next 12 months and that you'll revise that every 12 months so that you've pre-agreed on it. Because sometimes, you know, it might make sense that one person is responsible for going and and dealing with the administration side of the business or entering into certain contracts. And it just might not be practical for you to have to come back to the table and keep agreeing on all these things over and over again. So you can deal with that without having to get really detailed in in the agreement itself by referring to to this sort of annual plan or annual budget or whatever you're talking about. So that's a really good method, I think, um, that I've seen work really well in practice for navigating some of those issues. And as I say, if, if you're in that 50-50 uh, sort of scenario, I think you need shotgun clauses. You know, you need to deal with exit if it's not um, getting along, you can't make decisions moving forward. But but highlighting what area each um sort of partner is responsible for in the business and then setting up those annual plans and then having this sort of position that you review it annually but if you don't agree then you just stick with the prior annual plan i think is a really good way to to go
0: so that's a good idea. Actually, I'd never thought of that, actually, is actually having a pre-planned budget and then mm. limiting the expenses, not by a certain cap, but actually yeah. pre-planning the year, which every business owner should do, but lots don't. Yeah. And then saying, okay, well, this is going to be our expense allowances. And if uh, we have, want to go over them, then we jointly have to agree. Yeah. Um, and I think that, exactly. that's good because I've always been worried about 50-50 um, um, shareholders or partnerships where there's deadlock and no yes. one can make a decision. Yes. Um, so that's actually a really good way around it. So that's a very, very useful piece of Yeah, it's a really point.
1: practical. It works really well in practice, I can say as well. So
0: that's um, good. this is uh, probably probably a bit obvious, Joe. But in terms of the. Um I uh, think other things agreement should cover, I guess, um, is not when is when things happen that um, the associate parties have got no control over. So, in the absence of a shareholders' agreement, what happens if you have a 50 50 shareholder business and one of the um, shareholders dies in a motor vehicle accident?
1: Yeah, and this is, oh, it's horrible. None of us like thinking about this sort of stuff, but this is so, um so important. So, your shareholders' agreements can deal with, you know, they can be. Um we call them buy sell provisions within the agreement that that relate and usually um there'll be some connection to um insurance so um so it, it can be the case where you can build in this um this ability for um the the other partners to have insurance if they've uh, to to be funded by insurance to buy out the the shares or, or the um, the um, beneficial component of the partner that's passed away. So, so that's one way of dealing with it. Um, uh, because one of one of the risks is that um, if if you're in you know a business like a veterinary practice which m- relies on everyone putting in certain effort, um, and then something has happened to one of those partners, and the estate of that partner becomes the 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 partner in the business now, um, but are not contributing to the business itself, it can feel like an inequitable position. But it can also be difficult um, for, you know, it, it's of a lot of concern for people what um, what rights their estate will have or their beneficiaries of their estate will have in terms of being able to liquidate the value in their business as well. So it really, it, that works, um, you know, for both parties, I think, it, yeah, that so, sort of situation. So, so
0: correct me if I'm wrong, but under um, in the absence of an agreement between the parties, the shares would get treated as they would shares on the stock market. And potentially, if one of the – say you're getting on gangbusters with your business partner, he dies in a car accident, has no immediate family, and you can potentially find yourself in a 50%, 50% partnership with his cousin who's a drug yeah. addict. Yeah, that percent <laughs> And that cousin, <laughs> might, that cousin might say, if you don't have the necessary clauses in place, I actually really like being part of this factory business. I don't have to work any hours. And, the, you know, the distributions and dividends feed my drug habits. Yeah. Uh, you know? <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm not joking. This can happen, right? It so That's you've true. You've got to have something in place that to deals with um, death of a shareholder yeah. partner, um, permanent disability of yep. any one of those parties uh, and normally that's covered by insurance which uh, the equitable thing around that is it covers enough for the remaining people to purchase uh, the shares in the uh, in the injured or deceased persons Uh, part of the business and uh, their family actually gets the money and not the business, which I think is actually the fairest outcome in my Mm. opinion. You Mm. really need one of those clauses in place. So for those of you who don't have an agreement in place, that is high risk. Even if you think, oh, you know, we're getting on gangbusters, we have no problems and we discuss everything. um, There's the inevitable that can happen. And we've seen, unfortunately, in the vet industry, a couple of cases of permanent disability happen, Mm. uh, particularly in large animal vets or um, vets traveling to farm visits and hitting kangaroos and having terrible car accidents and things like that happens so I'd uh, be aware of that.
1: Um, And actually, the other thing that um, I want to throw in there is the importance of restraints, because if you don't have an agreement in place, there is actually um, very little that you can practically do um, to stop one party from operating in competition, perhaps, with with the business. So, you know, that's something to think about. Shareholders' agreements will usually have a restraint, something that says, well, you know, none of us can, you, you know, compete with the business. Um, well, during the period that we're a shareholder and, and for X period afterwards as well, that can be quite a useful clause. But you just have to be careful about the application of that because if you're not happy with how the business is running and you've got no way to get out, you also potentially have an issue in relation to what else you can do outside of the business. So, it's, it's important that, um, that the way this is applied is thought through carefully.
0: Yeah. yeah, I agree with you there. And often, when we see restraints of trade, I would say it's very fair to have a restraint of trade whilst that person owns shares or is part of that business. You know, they shouldn't really be allowed to open up in competition with their fellow. Uh, shareholders. Uh, but then once they sell the business, often the restraint of trade um, gets added into the sale agreement, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. We often see that. Yeah. Um, it may not because you may not have control as to what the, the sale agreement is if you're remaining. But very often a restraint of trade is, is often like a, a like of a certain number of kilometres is, is applied to the, um, to the sale of the business. Um, so when they're exiting. But I, I don't know if I've commonly seen restraints of trade um, like already Present in the uh, in the agreement uh, prior to sale, uh, but I, I can see why why it would be useful in some cases and not in others.
1: Yeah, that's right. So, so, so probably about half of the shareholders' agreements that we deal with will have restraints that survive past termination for for a set period of time. But there can be a whole heap of reasons for that. But as I say, and as you're talking about here, have to be really careful about you know whether that's appropriate. Um, and it's about making sure you've you're. Going into this with your eyes wide open and understanding what's in these agreements. Yeah, this
0: is one of those ones where you'd all have to sit down together before you go into business and agree on because, as Joe said, 50% yes, 50% no. Um, you might collectively say, actually, no, this is too risky for us. We don't want this restraint. Or you might all agree, yes, we do want this restraint. Mm. And then maybe three years down the track, you might change your minds, which is why you have to have the agreements reviewed. <laughs>
1: Exactly right. And just one quick word on restraints because I find people quite often get a bit confused about restraints. First thing, um people often think that restraints are not enforceable because there's this sort of theory that goes about, but they are absolutely enforceable in a shareholders agreement context. So you have to um you know be careful about your thoughts in relation to that. But restraints can be two things. They can be non-competition, so not competing, and it can be non-solicitation, i.e. not taking staff, not taking clients. So there's two different things that you have to consider with restraints, and they should be dealt with separately. But generally speaking if if you don't understand the difference, you may not know to look out for that.
0: Oh, thanks, yeah, that's, that's something I never thought of. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> that's why you're a lawyer, the gun, right? <laughs> uh, all right. So, um, oh, look, we're getting to sort of, we've nearly been doing this for an hour, Joe, and everyone's still here. So it's obviously, it's obviously <laughs> some interest. Um, I don't know, I made myself little cheat notes here, and I think we've covered most of the things. Um, just, I, I made some notes on these, the common scenarios of brain. And I think we've covered most of them. You know, unequal um, sort of uh, revenue generation, holidays, things like that. Last stage, I've talked about younger partners with older partners. We've talked about that. Um, and this is one that can happen. Just as a as a warning to you guys, is when you initially do an agreement, like everyone's at a certain stage in their life. But then, you know, if you're maybe in a three or four way partnership, suddenly changes in home life happen to one of the uh, one of the shareholders, uh, and that might be, you know, they suddenly have children. I had a case. This was before I was an accountant. Event I used to uh, look for who had. Uh, accidentally had triplets, right? Whoa! (laughs) And and this suddenly (laughs) changes, right? Things change all of a sudden. So, you know, there's marriage issues, there's divorces. These are things that are outside of the context of the business but can certainly affect... Uh, one of the um, shareholders' performances. And this is things we've, uh, we've seen happen. And you can see suddenly where, you know, um, allowing them to exit more easily might be favorable. Giving them an equitable ec- exit point might be quite favorable where you might have, you know, the first option to purchase their their shares um, is very favorable. Joe, and this again, um, I, I was actually going to highlight on this again um, because we've mentioned this is, you know, when someone has to exit the business or is, needs to exit the business, has to be valued in some mm. shape or form. Um, and you have to deal with how the value value of that business is going to be established when these sort of things happen um, so I'm not trying to sort of you know be a cheerleader for our valuation business um, you can get a what I would suggest you do is you probably have the valuation done by two values if that's okay if you can agree on having one value it's cheaper for everyone mm. um, but there's also I've also seen in business um, agreements where um, where the actual way the business is going to be valued is preset by a set number of KPIs and rules and that makes the exit very very easy yeah um, it does have the disadvantage, though, that in the one I have seen, the business was very undervalued because that formula had been applied, you know, maybe five or six years or 10 years prior, and the veterinary industry had boomed quite a lot on the way. So, the exiting partner got a lot less than they should have. But that's another call-out
1: for regular review, isn't it? Uh, you and know? that's a
0: call-out for regular review, but you've got to understand that the um, business valuation or a way to establish what this business is worth is going to be critical to the exit in the issue of like say a divorce or sudden lifestyle change of a particular partner it doesn't have to be injury it can be triplets (laughs) Um, you know um, so so that actually covered everything so those are the only other scenarios that I've seen um, really causing um, major partnership issues and then the ones that uh, that um, that that Joe's, Joe's dealt with.
1: Well, that's it for this episode of the Deal Room Podcast. I hope you found the information that we covered today useful and relevant for you. Um, and certainly, it's something that you should be considering if you're either considering going into business with someone else or indeed, if you are already in business with someone else. Um, now, look, if you'd like more information about this topic, then just head over to our website at talkinglaw.com. Where you'll be able to download a transcript of this podcast episode if you would love to read it in more detail. Now, a little bit of a warning here our transcripts are automatically transcribed due to the amazing abilities of AI. However, it's not perfect, so please don't expect to read a word perfect transcript. It's um, it's the computers in the skies attempt um at getting uh, at getting these words right. But anyway, it's almost perfect, but just not absolutely perfect. On our website, of course, you'll also find details of how to contact Paulo if um you have a veterinary practice that you would like uh, some consultation in relation to, or indeed if you're looking at heading into a sale or perhaps looking to acquire a veterinary practice and you'd like to organise a valuation for that business, then check out our show notes for links straight through to Value Vet, who are absolute specialists in this field. Now, on our website, you will also find details of how to contact our Legal Eagles at Aspect Legal if you or your clients would like to discuss any legal aspects of sales or acquisitions. We've got a number of great services um, for businesses in sales or acquisitions, and also um, a number of great services, obviously, in helping you arrive at uh, your shareholders' agreements. Well, that's it. I hope you enjoyed what you heard today. If you did, then please pop over to iTunes and make sure you hit that subscribe button so that we can be delivered to your um, ear um, on a weekly basis. And of course, don't forget to um, shoot us a review via iTunes or your favorite podcast player if you like what you heard. Well, that's it. Thanks again for listening in. You've been listening to Joanna Oki and the Deal Room Podcast, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. See you next time. Aspect Legal has a number of great services that help businesses prepare for a sale or acquisition to help them prepare in advance and to get transaction ready. We've also got a range of services to help guide businesses through the sale and acquisitions process. We work with clients both big and small and have different types of services depending on size and complexity. We provide a free consultation to discuss your proposed sale or acquisition. So see our show notes on how to book a time to speak with us or head over to our website at aspectlegal.com.